0: Parenting is part of the institution of marriage, a God-ordained activity, and hence a ministry itself. As parents, we have a great responsibility before us to shape and mold the lives entrusted to us. Discover biblical and practical principles on how to build, discipline, and nurture your children. All right. The Bible tells us something very important. The Bible tells us about the power of our words, the power of our tongue, that uh, life and death is in the power of our tongue. Right. So we need to be careful the words we speak. That the words we speak are words of life. Uh, Are the words we speak can either build up or they can destroy. And so we intentionally need to speak the word of God. And by the words of our mouth, we release our faith. And By the words of our mouth, we also express our faith in God. The Bible says, hold fast to the confession of your faith. So faith, we confess it. We say it. This is what I believe. And we need to hold fast to the confession of our faith. Let's say Hebrews ten, and I think it's verse twenty-eight, and also Hebrews ten, verse thirty-five. Do not cast away your confidence. That's Hebrews ten thirty-five. Do not cast away your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. But you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. So you don't get rid of your confidence. You know you began right, but after you've done the will of God, you need patience. Hold on to it, so that you might receive the promise. Right. So Hebrews ten. Verse thirty-five. So what we do every Sunday morning is we stand up and we make our declaration. This is what I believe. And what we say here on Sunday, I want you to continue that throughout the week. That this is what I believe. Amen? Let's stand to our feet, please, as we make our declaration. If you brought your Bible, I'd like you to hold it in your hand. Just hold it high up in the air. Let's say this out loud, bold, and strong together. This is God's word. This is God speaking to me. I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I can do. I will become everything God has promised. I'm saved, healed, delivered, redeemed. I'm blessed, victorious, prosperous, triumphant. I'm a minister of God, a servant of Christ, and a channel of His blessing to many people. I receive His word. I believe His word. And I live by his word. Christ is my master. And to him, I am in absolute surrender. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn around to the person standing next to you. Greet them, say hello, give them your name. Get to know them a little bit. And then you may be seated. God bless you. The last seven weeks that have gone by, we've spent a lot of time talking about Marriage. We are on the theme of marriage and family, uh, looking at different aspects about marriage. Uh, and uh, we discussed some very difficult things the last couple of Sundays as we talked about some of the challenges in marriage. In the next few Sundays that we have before we close out this series, uh, we're going to be talking about another very important aspect of, of marriage, about the married life, which has to do with parenting. So I said, Pastor, I'm not even married, you're talking about parenting. <laughs> But i think it's, it's it's very important to talk about this area and you know i wish and I, I think i've said this before i wish i was taught some of these things 20 years ago before i got married and i'm uh, before, i'm sure amy will say yes you know <laughs> i wish somebody taught us these things then 20 years ago uh before we got married that we or what marriage is really all about and i also wish somebody taught us about parenting even before we got married because At some point, after you get married, you are very likely going to become parents. You're going to have children. And that's just something we're not taught of or about in school. There's no like parenting class, you know, in a 10th grade. (laughs) There's nothing like that. And so here you are, you're, you're, you're pushed into this whole thing of life of being a parent. And you've got zero training for it. Literally zero training. Or maybe... You know, what you experienced as a child, what your parents did to you, that's probably all we come in with as parents. And, uh, you know, uh, if, if what we went through as children in our upbringing was wrong, God help us. <laughs> We've got to be immediately detox, uh, go through a detox process, get all the wrong stuff out and then quickly learn on how to do parenting right. And, and so I really wish, you know, going looking back, I wish we had learned. We had, somebody had spoken these things to us or even in church had taught us these things so that, you know, we'd be ready for these very major important things in life. Uh, we're going to talk about parenting today and, uh, and then we'll spend some more time about, uh, on it uh, the couple of Sundays. And uh, uh, we, I'm just calling these, uh, these are two chapters in the manual. It's still being written, don't worry, you will get it at some point, you <laughs> know. Uh, hopefully in the next couple of weeks here. Yeah. Uh, this is chapter 14 and 15 in, 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 the, in the Marriage and Family Manual. Uh, it's parenting primer and nurturing children, and and so we want to look at parenting from a biblical and a practical perspective. Now, of course, um, uh, you can look at it from a psychological perspective. Uh, y- if you're doing psychology as a as a, as a course or as a uh, uh, looking at it as a career option, they will teach you about you know parenting and so on in psychology. You can look at it as, look at it from a social science perspective as well. You know what's happening. Uh, to parents these days and, and, and all of that. But our approach is really, we want to look at it from a very biblical perspective. What does the Bible teach us about parenting? And from a practical perspective, you know, what are things we do uh, very practically? Uh, and, and we will talk about these things. Uh, and uh, you know, Amy and I have been married 20 years. We have two children. Josh was 18. He's gone off to college. Uh, and uh, Ruth is 15. And uh, like most of, most parents here, we had no prior training on no learning. You know, so it's like, okay, two kids, now what do you do? You know? Of course, the first two years are very nice. The first two years are the cutest, you know. And it's all oh, you're enjoying, you're having fun, they don't talk back, they don't shout, they don't, you know, at the most, you know, you need to change their diapers and, you know, uh, and feed them, those kinds of things. But hey, it didn't really prepare us for what's coming up after that. You know? uh, but, uh, so there have been challenges, we've had to learn. Sometimes the hard way on how to do it right. Uh, uh, but, you know, overall, it's very, very satisfying. It's, it's something very powerful, very beautiful. when you know that you can actually nurture lives and release them into the right purpose that God has for their lives. It's a very powerful experience. It's a very joyful thing to know that you could actually parent and raise up uh, children that will honor God and do uh, the will of God. So let's talk about parenting from a biblical perspective. First of all, I want to impress on our hearts that parenting is a call. It's a calling. Uh, And so as parents, we must embrace our call to be parents. Parenting is a divine assignment given to us by God. Because God created the institution of marriage. And in that institution of marriage, He established parenting. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 15, uh, Malachi says, you know, and so why did he make them one? Why did he bring this man and woman, woman together? It says, what is his purpose in this? It was that you should have children who are truly God's people. Why, one of the reasons why God brings a man and a woman together is because we could raise up children who are truly God's people. That's what God wants. As parents, uh, it's a calling on our lives to raise up children who are truly God's people people. So parenting is ministry, just as much as being a pastor, being an apostle, being a prophet is ministry. So husbands, wives, you are called to the ministry. (laughs) You are in ministry. It's become quiet here this morning. (laughs) Because you are doing something God has given to you. It's a ministry. You're doing a divine appointment, divine assignment. And uh, I I may have shared this many times before, but uh, there have been times when I said no to an invitation to go preach. And I'm not making this up, literally. You know, somebody would call and say, we're having a conference, can you come and preach? And I'll say, I'm sorry, I cannot come. Why? I'm going to play football with my son. And they can't understand it. What? Because I had set that time that Saturday morning to go play football with Josh. And for me, that's as important, probably more important than going and preaching to people. Because that is ministry. It's in the Bible. You're looking at me strange. (laughs) It's in the Bible. God has called us to be parents. So I've done those kinds of things because I, value, I believe in this call to be a parent. That when I am a parent to my children, uh, I'm actually uh, fulfilling a ministry. I'm doing something that is right in the eyes of God. And the call to be a parent is a very high calling because we are called to represent the heavenly father. In Ephesians chapter 3 verses 14 and 15, Paul talks about God being the ultimate father. He, God, he says, I he says, bow my knees before the father. He has his family in heaven and he has his family here on earth. So God is the ultimate father and his family derives its name from him. Meaning his family finds its entire uh, origin, it finds its entire identity, its being, its security from him. Gets his name from him. So he is the ultimate father. Now what has this father God done? In Psalm 127 verse 3, it says children are an inheritance from the Lord. Meaning he has given children to us as an inheritance. They belong to him, but he's entrusted them to you and me. Saying you take care of them. So, Having received this inheritance, his portion for our lives, his inheritance for our lives. Now we are to represent the father God to them. And it's a very high calling. The first picture of God children are going to have is through their parents. This is what God is like. The fatherhood of God seen through the husband and wife to the father and the mother. So we as parents need to represent a call to represent the father to our children. And, and I know we, you know, as parents, of course, we are flawed. We are not perfect. And, and we, we're, you know, we're going through our own crisis saying, man, what do I do with these kids, you know, and, and all of that. But in the midst of all that, we are called to reveal God the Father uh, to them. And uh, they need to see uh, the nature of God, that, that God is love, that God is, uh, you know, merciful, but God is also a God of discipline and a God is a God of order. They need to see all of that revealed in our lives. We are called to represent the father. And so part of representing the father. Is learning to give unconditional love. To our children. Because the father loves us. With an unconditional love. That means. His love, he loves us no matter what. When I pass Hindi. And when I fail Hindi. He still loves me. <laughs> hey. No matter what. You probably hear me using Hindi a lot. Because it was my torment. during school days. So it brings back memories. Anyway. Uh, So regardless of what happens, regardless of my performance, the father still loves. And that's the way we are to love as parents. That we love our children unconditionally regardless. There'll be times they're really good and there'll be times they mess up. But we still love them unconditionally because we are representing the father, God, to them. And they need to understand what unconditional love is. Amen? That's part of art. Our... The other important thing about being a parent is that we learn to become our child's role model. Now think about a role model. When you use the term role model, what are we talking about? You know, you know some of the big role models people have these days, are you know, some celebrity, you know, maybe some cricketer, some soccer player, you know, you can pick your know, Messi or Ronaldo or whoever you really like. And... Uh, and I think even grown up people like me have role models, you know, even footballers and you know, I hope someday I can be like Ronaldo, you know, <laughs> it's just a distant dream, no, just joking. So, you know, what's a role model? It's some person who has achieved something in life and maybe he's a great success in sport or business or something else. He's achieved something. And because of his achievement, because of who he is, sometimes because of his character, sometimes because of his, his thoughts and his ideas, whatever, he's reached a certain place where he begins to influence people. He influences the behavior, the attitudes, the thinking, the dreams, the hopes, the aspirations of people. And people want to emulate him. They want to imitate him. They want to copy him. They want to be like him. Even people who have never seen him or uh-huh. her. So some of us, you know, we've never seen Ronaldo or never seen Messi, but man, I want to be like him. Because of his achievement or because of his skill or talent or whatever. And it could be any, in any area. It could be in business. It could be in so many other areas. But that's a role model. He's able to influence a person's attitudes, behavior, character, thoughts and, and hopes and dreams and aspirations from a distance. Now, think about this. Kid, think about children. The first road models they will automatically embrace in their lives are their own parents. Now dad is superman and mom is supermom. That's the best thing in the world. They're the only two adults that they're interacting initially with. And so by default, parents, we've got the privileged position of being anointed the role models for our children. We did nothing just other than having them. we're their role models. But what you do with it is a different story. Whether you can leverage that and and make it a positive experience where you and I as parents can then begin to influence, uh, and not just from a distance, but being with them day after day, begin to influence their attitudes, their behaviors, their thoughts, their dreams, their hopes, their aspirations as a role model. And they can look back and say, dad was like this, I'm going to be like this. Mom was like this, I'm going to be like this. That's a great calling and a great opportunity. Are you with me? And that's what parenting is. It's, it's a great opportunity. It's a pro- look at these verses. Proverbs 17 and verse 6 says, Old people are distinguished by grandchildren. Children take pride in their parents. By default, this is you don't even have to earn it. They want to take pride in their parents. Now, of course, if we mess up, then they'll say, okay, forget my parents. You know, they look for other things. Proverbs 20 verse 7, God-loyal people living honest lives make it much easier for their children. So if I as a parent... I'm living that kind of a life, it makes it so much easier for children. So if I am living in honesty and integrity and truthfulness and I'm walking that way, it becomes easier for children to walk the same path because they see that it can be done and they see somebody who's actually doing it. It it, makes it so much easier for them. Otherwise, if they see me, you know, lying and doing all that and they come to church and they learn about integrity and all that, they're saying like, oh, No, dad is like that. But in church, you know, this is what I'm learning. This is what the Bible is saying. So they have to unlearn and then relearn. They've got to go through that process. But children are like sponges. And as parents, we impress upon them so much, good or bad. They just take it in. Until at some later stage in life, they realize, okay, all of that was bad. I need to get rid of it. Those are good things. I need to carry that with me. Social skills are first learned from mom and dad's. How we interact with other people how we talk simple things basic things like saying sorry thank you welcome please are learned first from parents or they're not learned at all you know from parents how to handle conflict is learned from parents they see how mom and dad are handling conflict they do the same how to handle crisis Is learned from mom and dad. So when you as a family going through crisis and the children are watching you. Oh, this is how we're handling crisis. This is how we're going through it. They learn those same things. Attitudes, behaviors, things like generosity, things like, you know, uh, frugality, things like uh, giving or or, or, or different things are being learned at home by children. Even as they are watching their parents, role models. So think about it. What character traits, what behaviors, what positive attitudes would you like your children to have? Start being that at home. Because when you do have children, that's what they're going to absorb into their lives. We must also train children for life. Proverbs 22 verse 6 says, teach children how they should. Let's start that again. Proverbs 22 verse 6, teach children how to score high marks. Teach children how they should get to the top. Now, Proverbs 22 verse 6, teach children how they should. Live, and they will remember it all their life. Proverbs 20 verse 11, even children show what they are by what they do. You can tell if they are honest and good. So as parents, we are called to train them for life. Yes, we have to, you know, provide the food and shelter, love and affection, give them a good education, all of that. Those things are very important, yes, do all that. But you know, that itself doesn't necessarily prepare them for life. But they need to be prepared for life. What do we need to do? We need to train them with values and principles. We need to train them with disciplines in their life. And we need to give them life skills. Now, generally speaking, and I know there are many principals, educators here, so don't don't get angry with me. But Archana is looking at me. (laughs) You know, most schools may not even think about imparting values and principles and, and disciplines and life skills. That is not their focus. Maybe one period in a, in a week, you know, value education. But the focus, of course, is, you know, how do we get the marks? How do we, you know, get rid of this batch? So we can get a new batch in. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so the, the, whole, the whole education system is not geared, and Kenneth is also here, he's like, oh, you're looking at too many, too many. <laughs> the whole education system is not necessarily geared towards equipping children for life. They give them knowledge, information, but maybe not values, maybe not disciplines, maybe not life skills. So where are they going to learn it? It's got to be at home where we teach them values and principles you know this is right this is wrong this is the way you make decisions this is uh, these are important things you need to carry with you in your life now these are disciplines disciplines like you know you need to have a daily schedule you need to keep your things in order uh you need to be punctual uh uh, if you make a promise keep your word you know these are things nobody teaches in school but these are very important for life you show up late for your interview even before your interview is over they'll send you home so but in school they never told me I had to come on time gone (laughs) But these are life and life skills. How do you communicate? How do you interact with people? Uh, you know, how do you honor authority uh, and uh, so many other things are never taught in schools. Maybe schools are changing and beginning to accommodate some of that. But parents, this is what we need to give our children to prepare them for life. Are you with me so far? I think some of us, like me, would say, "Let me start all over again." <laughs> and. Uh, in order to do that, we must understand our children. And and many of you parents here, if you have two kids, you'll be the first one to say, you know, they're not the same. They have the same dad, the same mom, but they're totally different. Totally different. Their attitudes, their temperament, their interests, their skills. Yeah, God designed them different. And it's very interesting to see in the Bible, in Psalm 127 verses 3 to 5, the Bible says, we read verse 3, Children are an inheritance from the Lord, the fruit of the womb is his reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Look at verse 4, it says, Children are like arrows in the hands of a warrior. It's doing a comparison, a picture So here are some things we can infer from that verse. You know, an arrow needs to be aimed before it's released. You don't just close your eyes and shoot an arrow. That's not how a warrior releases an arrow. He aims. And so it tells us, parents, we need to aim our children, meaning align them to the purpose and the call of God on their lives. What did God design them for? He designed them for something. He made them very different, very unique. Gave them a certain mix of skills and temperament and all of that. Now, align them for that. Not align them to what you missed out on, but align them for what they have to become. And so parents sometimes try to live their life through their children. And I couldn't be that, so you go be that. No. No. What did God, what does God call on their life? Align them for that got to aim your children. Secondly, an arrow can, can, can be a weapon that if it is used correctly, it can, it can inflict defeat and bring great victory. It can accomplish something great if it's done right. Otherwise, it can just be shot somewhere and nothing happens. But if an arrow is used properly, so if you are equipping your child properly, if you are uh, uh, training your child properly and releasing them, then they can have great impact for the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible says your children will be powerful on the earth. But it has to be done right for them to have that influence and power. And thirdly, you know, arrows, this is getting a little physics here, but you know, depending on how much you bend the bow and you can... You can send the arrow really far, or you can just it down here. So I have ten arrows. Where are they? All around. <laughs> What's the point? But if you really bend the bow, and I'm not talking about geographical distance, but I'm talking about having, you know, maximizing their potential, you can send them far in life. Just depending on how you release that arrow. If you really equip them, prepare them well, give them what it takes, and then release them, you will maximize their potential. Send them far in life. But that's in the hand of the warrior. That's in the hand of the parent. And then there is a blessing. Verse, the next verse, verse 5 says, it's a beautiful blessing. You know, uh, uh, that, that children will bring defense and protection to you. You'll answer enemies in the gate when you, when, you, when you deal with the children correctly. They, they are your pride and they are your defense and your joy. So parents, here's a very important thing uh, in case you haven't heard this. We need to grow up with our children. As our children grow up, we also need to grow up. How we interact with them, how we deal with them, how we, what kind of things we teach them, what kind of things we train them. That also has to evolve. That also has to grow as our children are growing up. You know, and, and, and our engagement, uh, modes of engagement begins to change. So you, know, you have that initial period of zero to two years. We're busy changing diapers, feeding them and all of that. You know, all that's fine. But once they go past two years, then you, two to five, you begin to start training. You start dealing with you know, things that they need to learn. And you deal with them in a certain way. And then they come into those preschool years. Uh, or in the, in the early school, uh, preschool years when they're 6 to 12, they're going through that, you know, the elementary uh, early stage in school and you're dealing with them differently. And then they come into adolescence, they're teenagers now, uh, between, you know, 12 to 19 and the way you interact with them, the way you deal with them is different. And then they become young adults, you know, 18 to 21. And again, the way you interact with them and deal with them is different. So in the early preschool stages, you're more instructive you're saying, do this, don't do this. Why? Because daddy told you so. You come to teenage years, you can't be instructive. You're now participatory. Meaning, let's do this together. This is how you do it. Let me show you. There you try and say, daddy told you, this. say, daddy go fly a kite, you know. <laughs> you can't deal with them that way. They're teenagers. They are trying to find their own place and find out who they are and make their own decisions and be their own person. So you move from being instructive to participatory. Let's do this together. Let me show you how, and they'll watch you the first time. Then they'll do it themselves the next time. When when they become young adults, when they're 18 to 21, I mean, this is now different. They are young adults. They have already hopefully learned to make their own decisions, and so now it's more of influence. You're more of you're being more of an advisor rather than an instructor, or even a participator or a teammate. You're now. And advise they come to you for advice, and you give them. But you let them decide on what they're going to do. Preschool years, you said, "Here, yeah, Johnny, wear this blue shirt and dark blue pants." <laughs> Teenagers, you say, they say, "Okay, I'll, I'll fix my own clothes with the purple and you know some fancy colors." They pick, they pick their own clothes, even if you tell them, "We're going to church, wear suit and tie." They come with torn jeans and all. <laughs> You can't. They are making, they're trying to be their own person. And the young adults, forget it. They go to their own shopping and buy their own clothes. It's, you know, you might say, hey, there's a new kind of suit up there, a shirt up there or whatever, but it's totally different. So our modes of engagement change. And if you don't grow up, we're going to run into a lot of problems. And understand that the teenage transitions, meaning when they come into teenage years, they're going to say things that, that can easily be, be be misunderstood. For, if you're, for instance, if your son says, you know, Dad, uh, don't have to tell me what to do. I'll, I'll make up my own mind. You could misinterpret that as defiance. What? He never told me that when he was 10 years. <laughs> Look at him. He's telling me, Dad, don't tell me what to do. I'll make up my own mind. He's a teenager. So we could interpret that as defiance. But really what he is saying is, Dad, Uh, 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 Just give me the room and the space to become a man. Become a leader. I want to be in control. I want to take charge. I want to be able to make my decision. That's what he's saying. So if I misinterpret, I will think it as defiance and come down hard on him. How dare you speak like that? Or if I say, wow, that's really nice, son. Make up your mind. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you decide. I'm empowering him now to take charge of his own life. I'm helping him Transition into becoming a man. Or if he says something like, you know, um, suppose I say something and, uh, and then he responds and says, uh, but Dad, I, I don't look at it that way. I think it's different. I think it's like this. What do you mean? You know, I'm the pastor of the church. No, I don't do all that. <laughs> what do you mean? He, he, like, man, this is me. You know, I'm, I'm speaking of all my experience. And I, could think, and I could think that he's very opinionated and, and all of that. But that's, that's, that's not the right way to view it. What he is simply saying is that I have my own way of looking at it. I have my ideas and my thoughts. I just like to be heard. Is what he said. Yes, you are looking at it one way because of your 40 years of plus years of looking at it. But I am 14. I'm just looking at it from a different angle. It looks a little different here. And I just want to express my ideas and I want to be heard, but if I don't understand this, I could misjudge him and I could think it's being opinionated and it come down hard on him and say, no, 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 that's not the way. No, relax. Encourage him to think on his own and to have his own ideas and form his own perspectives and his own view of things. Please, are just couple of examples, and you can look at many other things that we typically as parents misjudge, you know, we call it being independent, you know, rebellious, but it may not be rebellious, he just wants to experiment some ideas. And I can tell you lots and lots of stories of things that happen at home, but unfortunately um, Josh and Ruth don't, don't like me to tell a lot of stories, right? Uh, so I have to respect that. Uh, they say, Dad, why are you telling us? It makes us feel embarrassed and all that. So, so I'll hold back on the stories, but uh, but there's so many experiences where, you know, you, uh, they, may, they may come back with something strange. Uh, trying to experiment something. But what he's really trying to do is, and we could interpret it as being rebellious, but he's not being rebellious. He's just trying to experiment and explore some new ideas so that he can then establish his own understanding and his own identity. And what he thinks about those ideas. But I could think, I'd look at it as, oh, that's being rebellious not being rebellious or being independent. No. He just want to experiment. Get some ideas. And it's not, these are not dangerous things. But experimenting. So parents we need to grow up. Another thing the Bible teaches us. Is to discipline without destroying. These verses of scripture. Ephesians 6 and verse 4. Says parents. Do not treat your children. In such a way. As to make them angry. Instead. Raise them up with Christian discipline and instruction. Colossians 3.21 says, Parents, don't, don't come down too hard on your children or you will crush their spirits. So it says, don't treat your children such a way that you make them angry. So sometimes we discipline our children, but in the process, the, our discipline is being very destructive. You say, how can I tell it's being destructive? We are making the child more angry. There's something wrong with our discipline. Or, we are actually destroying their, crushing their spirits. Uh, totally destroying them on the inside. That, that they no longer have any, any zest for life, any zeal that destroy it. Why? Because of the wrong discipline given out by the parents. It come down too hard. So, you know, we need to learn methods of discipline. There are... Methods of discipline that are healthy, that are constructive, that actually build up, and there are methods of discipline that are very destructive that'll only cause them to become very more angry and, and be destroyed on the inside. We'll talk a little bit about that a little later on, but understand that the purpose of discipline is to teach, train and build up. That's the purpose of discipline. Am I teaching him? Am I helping him learn something? Am I modifying behavior, correcting behavior? That's the purpose. Am I helping him learn something? That's the purpose. It is not just to inflict pain or punishments. That's not the objective of discipline. Are you all with me still, still or gone home? Okay, good. So here are some things I would just, you know, we could just make uh, in, 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 in line with this. Keep discipline positive. You know, the excessive or the violent use of the spanker. Or, you know, uh, shouting, screaming, verbal abuse, insults, intimidation, guilt, uh, negative pronouncements about the future. You know, you never become anything in life. All those things are are, are putting undue pressure. All these are unhealthy ways of discipline. And I'm sure all of us parents, me included, have done these. Because, you know, we never attended old people's church when we were growing up, you know. (laughs) They didn't tell us all these things. So we did all this and then we realized, oh man, this is not the way to discipline our children. There's a better way, there's a healthier way to discipline. Sit down and explain. What, is, what are the consequences? What is right? What's wrong? What are the consequences? Talk about uh, you know, the loss of certain privileges, or enforcing time modes, enforcing certain restrictions, or delaying the obtaining of certain things that have been promised. These are healthy ways of disciplining. Why? Because ultimately, you want them to learn what they need to learn. And you want to modify behavior without destroying them. Secondly, in discipline, understand the importance of relationship before rules. If I win my child's heart, I can influence his mind. But if I don't ent- enter his heart, nothing I say will get in there. But if, I, if he knows, that I really care about him and, 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 I, and, and I love him and I'm engaged in his life. I'm interested in what he's doing, what's going on in his life. If I gain entrance in his heart, I can influence his mind. So rules, relationship must come before. Us. And that's the way God is. Right? Obedience, God invites obedience because of love for him. And we love Him because we are actually reciprocating the love He has for us. So there is love first, then obedience. If you love me, keep my... That's God's relationship. Love, obedience. So obedience is really an expression of my love to somebody who I know loves me immensely. So it's a delight for me to obey that person. In fact, it will grieve my heart to grieve his heart. So I obey. Are you with me? So that's how we deal with our children. Relationship first, then the rules. Boundaries that are understood. So a part of disciplining is set boundaries that are understood. Clear, consistent, and then I need to understand. Of course, there are some boundaries that will never change. Like things about integrity, honesty, uh, no cheating no lying no stealing these are boundaries I man you never cross it you know whether you're in the morning afternoon night whether it's you know you're here or anywhere else these are boundaries you never these are boundaries we live within this but then there are some boundaries that are flexible and you explain that for instance you know during school days you come home at six o'clock if it's summer holidays sure you come home at 7 seven thirty. fine or In junior school days, you sleep by 10 or 11. And on the weekends, it's okay. You can sleep at 12. Fine. Those boundaries are flexible. But you explained it. Why? And it's understood. But boundaries that we set need to be clear, consistent, explained, understood. The reason behind it should be explained to them. And we also understand that part of disciplining is that we must be able to give increasing responsibility with autonomy. Meaning, as children grow up, they're going to become more and more independent, have more and more freedom. But as you give more freedom, you're also going to make them more responsible. That's how you give greater freedom. You want more freedom? Sure. But you're going to have more responsibility with that freedom. At some age, and I I can't remember which, I think maybe in 8th grade or something, we got Joshua's computer, and uh, we gave him full access to the internet. No restriction, nothing. Like, okay, you're on 24-7. You're connected. You can do what you want. But I sat down with him and I said, these are the restrictions. These are the boundaries. You type it out, put it here, write it down, stick it on the wall here. These are the boundaries. This is what we've agreed to. So giving you full access, here's your system, do what you want. But this is what you use your system for. This is what you use the internet for. And these are things you do not do. So there is... Freedom, but there is responsibility. Then you check. Are you doing the right thing? You know, yeah. How did you, what did you do today? Or did this, this. Now, I'm not saying you had to do this, but when I did it, I never put in any you know, child safe software to you know, monitor what's happening. I didn't do that. It was a matter of trust. I trust you 100%. I'm expecting that trust to be honored. And he honored it. So I'd ask, what did he do today? And he'd talk about the new things he learned and new things he developed and, and all of that. But that's, and so use that for the right things. You know, at some point you need to, nowadays kids will ask you, I need a phone. So we try to delay as much as we can. (laughs) You don't need a phone now. You don't need a phone now. At some point, you know, okay, you get a phone. But then along with those gadgets, along with those devices, you're giving them a little more liberty. But you also set boundaries and you give them responsibility. These are when you can use your phone. And this is what you use it for. And this is how we want you to be responsible with it. So with more freedom, there, is, there are boundaries, clearly defined boundaries, but there is also responsibility. And then you hold them accountable. If they violate those boundaries or they fail that responsibility, there is discipline. And this is probably number five, is probably the toughest part. Parents need to be in agreement. Now, nobody told Amy and me that it is possible that we would have totally different ideas of parenting. So we were already married now, and our kids are teenagers, and suddenly we begin to discover that our concept, our ideas of parenting are totally different. Because, you know, like we said, we had no prior education, we didn't go to the same school on parenting. The only understanding of parenting we had was the way we were brought up. And it so happened, we were brought up differently. Our understanding of parent, or the way we came in, understanding parenting was totally different. So, very important, and, and I'll explain a little exercise later on, which I wish we did you know, before we were married, but now, you know, say, praise the Lord, you, know. <laughs> you, can do that, you can do that exercise and save yourself a lot of trouble. But, here's the point. The point is that there are different parenting styles. On the one hand, there is the totally authoritarian parent. He only gives the rules, and he says, I'll see you when you break the rule. That's it. There is no more relationship than that. Then you have the authoritative parent who has set firm and clear boundaries, but he has a relationship of love, of affection, and he carries that through, he's engaged with the child. He's authoritative, but he's also very involved with the life of his children. Then you've got the permissive parent who says, do whatever you want. You want some more, I'll give that also. Yeah, and he's the permissive. Anything goes. You want more? I'll give you more. Be happy. Just don't give me trouble. (laughs) Permissive parents. And then you've got the uninvolved parents. Oh, I do have a son. Oh, and a daughter too. Oh, oh, okay. He's like totally off. He has. He's you know he's out there busy doing whatever he has to do. And his wife has to remind him now and then, you know, hey, you have a son, you have a daughter. <laughs> He's totally uninvolved with what's happening. Now, the best posture, the best parenting style, of course, is the authoritative style, where you've set boundaries, you're firm, but you're also very involved. And this relationship is happening between you and your children. And therefore, they are, you know, they're flowing with you, but you're firm. The problem with the authoritarian style is that we either end up putting in a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. So they, these children detest authority. They will not listen even to the pastor. Any kind of authority. Policeman, same as pastor, same as prime minister. Never listen. No authority. Why? Because that's it. They've had a bad experience growing up in an authoritarian home. And for them, authority means hell. Stay away from it. So whether it's the principal, whether it's the pastor, whether it's a policeman, they cannot tolerate that because authority. And and and, and, and they're angry, or they're just only totally broken on the inside. They you know they're like okay, you got to push them through life. Why? Because they've been broken by the iron-fisted hand of a you know a very dominating parent, authoritarian parent. The problem with the permissive environment is that. Children grow up and growing up in a permissive environment, most likely, never realize that there is there are boundaries in life. Because they were never taught, taught that at home. So when they come out into the real world and suddenly they find that, hey, there is right and wrong, you do get fined mostly in Bangalore if you cross if you cross the traffic light. <laughs> there are consequences, there are boundaries you shouldn't cross. Then they're like, Man, I never had these boundaries at home. So they don't understand the concept of right and wrong. And there are boundaries. There are things you shouldn't cross. And they don't. And so when you go into the workplace. And in the workplace there are expectations. And there are consequences. They don't understand that. Because they never grew up in that kind of an environment. And so they struggle with those kinds of things. With boundaries. With disciplines. Because it's very permissive. And the other thing is. And again, these are generalizations. I'm, I'm sure we can, all, we can all unlearn these things, but I'm just making generalizations here. And, and in a very permissive environment, children growing up that way, also very influenced because anything comes, they take. Anything comes, they take. They don't filter things out because they've not learned that you've got to stand up for what is right and learn to say no to what is wrong. Not learned that. So they're very influenced by things. And then, of course, the uninvolved parent, God bless them. You know, uh, they need counseling. <laughs> it's supposed to be a joke. Nobody laughed. It's okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So, so what do we recommend? So, you know, what happens normally is that, uh, let's think about a scenario here. You know, let's say uh, your, your son comes home and says, Dad, I failed in Hindi. It could have been me, you know. So. <laughs> i failed in Hindi. Now, one parent might say, you know, you can have different responses to failure. One parent might say, oh, you failed. Okay, let's see, you know, let's try to find out how we can, you'll do better next time, but let's see how we can help this thing. How, how can we help you do better? How can we do that? So that's one response. An involved parent who's very positive, who's saying, yeah, you failed, but let's see how you can do better, how you can get it. Another parent might say, you fail in Hindi. Your grandfather was a Hindi pundit. <laughs> Your mother was a Hindi teacher. You are a disgrace to a family. You fail in Hindi. I don't know what to say. You're going to be a failure. <laughs> Finish. That's another way to handle that. Another parent. You know, so you have different kinds of reactions. Now, now, let's say, you know, you, you come home, a child comes home and says, I fail in Hindi. And, and, the, and you know, and, and one parent is saying, you oh, know, okay, we'll see you through. The other parent is saying, no, you're miserable, this, that. You know, soon what will happen? They start fighting with each other. And the child is <laughs> all I did was fail in Hindi. <laughs> Mom and dad are fighting. <laughs> they are fighting with each other, trying to decide how to discipline him. <laughs> What is the right way to discipline him he's like god what's happening but sometimes the child thinks you know they are fighting because of me i am to blame the child doesn't understand that parents don't know how to parent <laughs> that's why they're fighting he doesn't know that but he begins to take the guilt and and like oh because of me they are fighting what, I, I, I'm accursed to this family. I'm bringing so much pain. He doesn't understand. Any such, you know, That's the second part, another side of it. So, what happens? Parents, they, they just are reacting differently to a certain situation. And like this, there can be many, many scenarios where parents are reacting differently. Why? Because their idea of parenting is very different. Or maybe, you know. Let's leave it there. Okay. So. Here's an exercise that, that you'll find in the manual when you get it, which would encourage every one of us, those who are you know, yet to be married or married and yet to have children. It's a useful exercise to go through. One is you as an individual, you look back on your upbringing and think through on how you were brought up. What are the pros and the cons? The positives which you can continue and the negatives which you need to unlearn and do not pass on to your children. Think through it. So, things like, how was I taught about faith in God? If it was, you know, my parents encouraged me to read the Bible, they prayed with me, we had family prayer every day, and, and that, you know, so that's a pro, that's a good thing. But if it was like, man, they made us read 10 chapters every day before breakfast, and only if we read 10 chapters we could eat, you know, that's a con, don't do that. <laughs> so you decide, you look back on your own upbringing, and see how you were trained. How were you taught values and principles in life? How were you taught personal disciplines like cleanliness and punctuality? How were you corrected when you were for wrongdoing? How were you affirmed for what was right? For doing what was right? How were you taught social skills? How did you learn attitudes in life? How did parents react to your failures? How did parents react to your success? How were you taught to do chores at home? How were you taught to handle money? How did you see your parents handle conflict between themselves? How did you see your parents handle crises? What kind of role models did you have and what influence did they have on you? So you think through on this. What are the pros and the cons? The cons, definitely, you've got to get rid out of your system. Don't repeat it for your children. Now, when you think through on these, all these things and, and you have your spouse think through on this, then you sit down together and go through the same list and say... Let us agree on how we are going to do this for our children, the positive things we're going to give them. How will we teach our children about faith in God? Agree on it. How will we teach our children values and principles? How will we teach our children personal disciplines? How will we correct our children for wrongdoing? If your husband says, the moment Johnny does something, I'm going to get the belt, whip the you know, oh, okay, okay. That may not be the nice way to do it, you know. Let's. Let's agree on something positive. Yes, there are times when you use a spanker, but that uh, the spanker is not everything. You, they need to learn, they need to understand, and so agree on it. How will we affirm them for doing what's right? How will we teach our children social skills? How will we teach our children positive attitudes for life? How will we react and handle their failures? How will we react to, and handle their successes? How will we teach them to do chores at home? How will we teach them to handle money? How will we You know, how will we handle conflict between ourselves so that it can have a positive effect on our children? How how will we handle crisis so that it can have a positive effect on our children? You know, what role models can we encourage them to uh, uh, to have, and how do we help them select role models? I wish somebody taught Amy and me these things so we could have done this before we had our children, because then I think our parenting would have been so much better. We'd have been in agreement. But I really encourage all of us, especially those of you who are going to get married and going to have children in the next 5-10 years, and hey, start thinking about these things. Are you with me so far? Because then you'll do so much better working with your children. There are other things about discipline. We've just, uh, and I'll skip here, you know, of course, have no partiality when you're dealing with your children. Affirm and appreciate what's right. Handle things at the first instant. And always bring closure with love and security. I remember many times when I disciplined Josh. And it's a really intense time. I would make it a point, And sometimes if I mess up, I'll make it a point. to go, I'll sit next to him on his bed and say, Josh, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. Many times I've apologized to my son. Or after the discipline time, I'll go sit next to him. I'll hug him. I'll say, Josh, I love you. I want you to know why I did this. Why I love you. So always close that time. Yes, it's an intense time. You go through that, uh, that time of discipline. was very intense. But you always close it with love. You always let your child know that whatever you've done is something more important. He is more important to you. Even that behavior and even that thing that you're trying to modify and correct. He is more important to you all the time. No matter what uh, you know, the performance is. To love him for who he is. He's your son. So always close it in love. A couple of other things, and I'm going to move more quickly. We have a few more. Uh, I need to wrap this up here. Require obedience from your children. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. Uh, Proverbs 13 A refusal to correct is a refusal to love. Love your children by disciplining them. Proverbs 19:18. Discipline your children while you still have the chance. Indulging them destroys them. Ross 23, 13-14, don't hesitate to discipline children. A good spanking won't kill them. As a matter of fact, it may save their lives. And uh, several other scriptures here. So require obedience. Teach them. You know, uh, here are things we want you to do. You've got to do it. And God deals with us in the same manner. Deal with foolishness by imparting wisdom. So children are not born wise. In fact, the Bible says they're fo- they have foolishness bound in them. And that has to be dealt with. And you deal with foolishness by imparting wisdom. You speak to them what is right. You teach them. Give them wisdom. And there are several scriptures on that. Because if we don't deal with the foolishness that's in their lives, they're going to mess up. Their carelessness or their lack of right judgment or them being gullible, they're being easily influenced, need to deal with these things. Let me very quickly talk about nurturing children and uh, then I'll close. So... Uh, All those who are asleep, just wake them up. Alright, nurturing children. I want to just, I'll I'll be fast. The instructions of a father are very important. You know, many, and in many cultures, you find that the man is only a husband, but he never is a father. And he gets married, he has some kids, and then he's off somewhere. And it's the wife and her mother who takes care of the children. So he's a husband, but he's not a father. Many cultures, it's like that. But the Bible calls us to be fathers in the house. And in fact, the Bible says if you don't do that, it opens the door for a curse. That's why in Malachi the, uh, Malachi 4 and 6, it says, he will turn the heart of the fathers to the children, the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike with them. And notice the sequence. The father's heart must be first toward the children. Only then the children's heart is going to respond and turn to the father. So I want to encourage all of us, husbands, let's be fathers in our homes. Create a greenhouse. Your home's got to be like a kingdom greenhouse, a, a control environment where there is you're nurturing kingdom values, kingdom principles. You know, outside maybe hostile and all kinds of things will be happening. But when they come home, it's got to be that kingdom greenhouse, a control environment where righteousness, peace, and joy is is, is being imparted uh, to the children. Recognize their inclinations, passions, and gifts. Like we said earlier, uh, each child is unique. Understand what are their inclinations. What are their passions? What are the gifts? And at an early age, by the time they are 13, something, you'll be able to see hey, this child has got these inclinations. They've got these passions. And this child has this. And so nurture that. Recognize what their, you know, what are their inclinations? Encourage that. Develop that. Uh, as early as, and the quicker, earlier you develop them, the stronger they're going to be in what God has really put in their lives. And uh, do your best, you know, bring out the best in them. God really desires for our children to be mighty on the earth to be powerful on the earth but we are responsible to bring the best out a uh, best that's in them bring it out allocate time and room for conversation you know if 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 if, uh, if our children don't find us engaging with them all all they have is a shelter and food but they need us, our involvement. So engage your child. You know, how, how was school today? What did you do? Uh, how, uh, how did, what did you score? And, and you know, what happened? And, and engage the children. Talk to them about what's going on in their lives. Engage. Uh, uh, have time for that. For, for conversation with them. On a, on a regular basis. Preferably on a daily basis. Use teachable moments to teach your children. You know, children's church is great, but they're not going to learn everything in children's church. Uh, Coming to church for two hours on a Sunday is great, but they're not going to learn everything here. You have the opportunity to teach them throughout the week. Use teachable moments. For instance, you know, if your child comes back from school and says, you know, dad, today, how was school? And they're telling you everything that happened. And then they begin to narrate an incident. Say, okay, you know, in school, you know, uh, uh, John, uh, he just said something to Jim. And, and then Jim got angry and he said something back. And then they got into a fight, and argument. and all. Okay, they're just narrating an experience. But that's a teachable moment. You can say, hi, hey, okay. What could Jim have done differently to prevent that fight? Yeah, John said some bad things. What could he have done differently? So what you're now beginning to help, you're getting them to think about behavior. So you're using a teachable moment. And then you say, okay, suppose something like that happened to you. Suppose somebody else said some bad things to you. How should you handle it? How should you react? Don't do it the way Jim did it. There's a better way to do it. So you've used a teachable moment right then and there to teach them a very important lesson on how to handle situations when people say bad things to them Now, if you don't do that and you expect pastor Selina to do all of that maybe they never get it but as a parent you have lots of opportunities lots of teachable moments to train up your children are you with me so far so use those uh, teachable things Be, nurture faith in your children uh, which is you know teaching the word of god and uh, God desires us to impart his word to our children and even to our grandchildren. Pass them on. Uh, teach them life skills. Things that they need for life. Teach them how to do that. And, uh, and encourage them in, in, in things that they like to do. That they're passionate about. And, uh, you know, and uh, help them that way. Uh, teach them about sex, purity and marriage. You know, By the time they hit, hit about 13 parents. This is very important. By the time a child reaches about 13, you as a parent need to sit down with your children and talk to them about sex, about purity and about marriage. Because if you don't do that, they're going to pick up all the wrong information outside or through the internet. Because their body is changing faster than their mind can understand or the brain can understand. And then they are trying to get answers. And if you don't speak to them about it, they're going to go look for it outside. So. Around 12, the age of 12, or around the age of 13, you need to sit down. Preferably, dad with the son and mom with the daughter, or it's okay in either way. And in the manual, there's a there's a little sermon that you can preach to your son. <laughs> now, there's a little outline on things that you can cover when you want to talk to your child about sex, purity, and marriage. You know, you you. Talk to them about their physiological changes. What's happening in their body for the son and or for the daughter? You explain, you know, this is what's happening in your body, and here's how your feelings and emotions will change. Suddenly, you'll become very, you know, sexually aware. Uh, you'll you know you'll start being attracted to the to, to the opposite sex, and, and and you know all of that is going to happen. Uh, and then you talk to them about areas of sexual temptation. You know, you're going to have temptations, and these these are kinds of temp- sexual temptations you're going to face. And uh, talk to them about it. Uh, and, and here, give them guidelines on how to handle those sexual temptations. I'm actually giving you the entire notes, and I spoke with Josh. Right? I didn't get his permission, but these are the things I sat down with Josh, and I walked through him all of that. You know, when he was about thirteen, at some age, early in his teens, and then talk to them about marriage. And because now, you know, all of a sudden, uh, in school, you know, boys and girls are talking about boyfriend, girlfriend. And if you don't have a boyfriend you, or a girlfriend, something is wrong. And then, you know, so it's, there's all that pressure around. And so, you know, they will also say, okay, I also need a girlfriend. I also need a boyfriend, you know. And so you need to tell them, look, marriage, you know, think about it at the right time. Finish your studies and, uh, you know, and give them some guidelines. And like, I've just put down things that I shared with Josh and you can use that if you want. So these are kind of, so you could talk, uh, this is how you think, of, when you think about what you need to do, if you're going to think about a life partner, here are some things, uh, and just walk them through it. But that's very important. It's better they learn it from their own parents and they, rather than learning it from the internet. Are you with me? So encourage, inspire, and support them into the life school. Whatever they're doing, what do they want to do? Encourage them into it. Bless them into it. I'm getting ready to close. And, uh, of course, there will come a time when you need to let go and let God handle things. You know, about when they're 18 or sometimes when they're 21, you let them go. They move out. They are staying on their own or uh, they're going to college or something happens. And, you know, there's a transition at some point between 18 and 21. They transition out, whatever. And, and you let go. And you let God take over. That's very important. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not easy. I remember when uh, I went to leave Josh. And for two days, I was crying at night. And you know, I was lying on my bed. He was, And you know, I was going to leave him. And I was crying. I said, God, did I do enough? Did I, you know, did I do enough in nurturing? Because now he's going to go. He's, he's going to go to college. And, and literally two nights. And then, this, I mean, the third night when I was... I said, you know, I'm feeling bad for myself. But really for him, it's a very exciting time of life. So let me look at it from his perspective. That really he's excited to step out of the home, go to college... And, 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 you know, and, and, and enter this, this new world. So that's when I, I changed. I said, Let's stop, let me stop feeling sorry for myself and be happy for him. And get over it, that's just, you know. So two nights, yes, I, I, I was feeling bad. But then, then I got over it. I said, okay, God, it's a great time for his life. Bless him, send him, and, and, and release him. So you've got to let go and just, just trust God that you know, God will take over. Of course, we talk almost every day. We interact. We're doing uh, things together. But it's a totally different phase. And uh, I would encourage uh, at that point, I would also encourage you, know, need to for- speak forgiveness over your children. Uh, if they have said or done anything that have hurt you, don't carry it in your heart. You release it. Or ask for forgiveness. And I said, I said, Josh, you know, I've, we, we, this is a transition. If I, I've not been a perfect parent, I've tried my best, but if, if I have done things that are wrong, I want you to forgive me. I ask for forgiveness. Why? Because I know I'm not a perfect parent. I did my best, but hey, at uh, this season, we need to release that. And uh, uh, release uh, any, uh, release healing for any hurtful, negative things that may, they have endured. Uh, cancel negative things that may have been spoken over their lives. You cancel it You only release the blessing of God and, and, and release, uh, send them out. And uh, then continue to leave, uh, uh, release a spiritual legacy, the word of God, the anointing of God, continue to impart into the lives of your children. Amen? I know I've rushed through the second chapter here, chapter 14, but let's, let's just stand to our feet and let's get ready to close. I'd just like to call our worship team up here, please, if you don't mind. And the call to be a parent is, is, just, is an awesome call. It's, it's just an exciting thing. It's a beautiful thing, but we need to know how to do it right. And, and if we do it right, I mean, there's just tremendous blessing. There's tremendous joy. I'd encourage all of us here this morning. You know, if you are single or you don't have children yet, I would encourage you just this morning just to pray and say, God, when the time comes when I have children or or maybe you are working with children in Children's Church or some other area, say, Lord, help me to really see this as a calling to have a positive influence and impact on children's lives. Give me the wisdom. Give me the grace I need. Some of us who are parents, who have children growing up, let us pray and say, God, give us wisdom. Help us in this ministry. Help us fulfill this calling, God. It's an awesome thing. But you know, when the heart of the Father is towards the children, when the heart of the children is towards the Father, there's going to be great blessing. There's going to be great anointing. There's going to be a great move of God's. That's what sets up that end time move. And the heart of the Father is turned to the children and the heart of the children is turned to the Father. God says, I will send. I will send Elijah, the prophet. I will send that kind of grace. That that anointing that prepares the bride, the bridegroom. It's a powerful thing. Could we take some time just now to pray? Whatever is stirring in your heart, would you please pray?
1: Praises, I sing your praises forevermore. I sing your praises. I sing your praises. I sing your praises forevermore. And I, I will sing your praises. I'll Sing Your praises, i will sing Your praises forevermore. I will sing Your praises. I will pray, Father and Father God, I wonder. Amen. You exist without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving care. Cause now I am your son, I adopted your family. I will never be alone. Father God, you're there beside. Father God. Father God, I wonder, I'm Without the knowledge of your parenthood and your loving care, now I am your son. I am adopted in your family, and I will never be alone. As Father God, you're there beside, me. I will sing your praises. I i will sing forever
0: Father, we just invite the working of your Holy Spirit in all of our hearts and all our lives so that we can have the understanding, have the grace on how to nurture children, whether our own children or whether children that we work with, that we will learn how to nurture them right. We'll be able to model to them how to live life and And we'll be able to reveal you, O God, to them. That they will learn your ways and your thoughts, O God. Help us. Give us the grace, O Lord. Just thank you. Just like us to close and And if you need prayer for anything, we will be here available down here. You can come. We will pray with you personally one-on-one after we close and dismiss. Let's close, please. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the sweet fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with each of us always. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for being here. Thank you. God bless. Have a great Sunday. Enjoy parenting. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.